You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Cindy Johnson, award-winning Lighthouse volunteer and copy editor extraordinaire. (laughs) Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. In a few minutes, we'll listen to an interview about one of the most famous lighthouses in the world, Cape Hatteras in North Carolina. So, uh, Thanksgiving is in a few days. Do you have any plans, Cindy? Uh, actually, I volunteered to work this year. How about you? Uh, well, uh, we're just going to have a small group. Uh, only four of us will be having Thanksgiving dinner at the Roundabout Diner in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard good things about their Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, it sure saves a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, No dishes. Somebody brings the food out for you and everything right. else. And uh, but we, of course we will be coming home for my wife's uh, Charlotte's uh, famous desserts. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think you've experienced mm-hmm. one or two of those. Yeah. So uh, not to change the subject, but before we get to today's interview, I want to mention a few holiday season events coming up. From now until December thirty first, you can see the Fantasy of Lights at Lighthouse Point Park in New Haven, Connecticut. It takes place every Friday and Saturday from 5 to 10 p.m. and Sunday through Thursday from 5 to 9 p.m. Fantasy of Lights is presented by Goodwill of Southern New England and is now in its 28th year. There are more than 60 animated displays and 100,000 lights. To take the experience to the next level, you can rent a pair of 3D glasses. Wow, cool. (laughs) We should also mention that the admission fee of $10 per car supports Goodwill's missions. And, of course, the centerpiece of Lighthouse Point Park is Five Mile Point Lighthouse, Mm -hmm. hence the name, Lighthouse Point Park. Also, uh, Hesita Head Lighthouse in Oregon has a Victorian Christmas event from December 9th to the 17th. You can enjoy the beautifully decorated Keeper's House, visits from Santa, and local musicians playing holiday favorites. The holiday lights will be on display through January 2nd. You can learn more at HesitaLighthouse.com. That's H-E-C-E. TALighthouse.com. Old Cape Henry Lighthouse in Virginia is illuminated for the holiday season, and visitors are allowed to climb it at night to enjoy views lit by Christmas lights. The lighthouse is on an active military base, and all visitors over 16 must have ID. The illumination ceremony will take place on December 4th at 5.30 p.m., with climbs every Friday night from December 5th through the 26th until 7 p.m. I just visited Old Cape Henry Lighthouse last mm-hmm. month. We just featured it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I love seeing it for the first time. I think you've been there, right, Cindy? I have, yes, when I lived in Norfolk. And uh, another event is the uh, the annual Windpoint Community Club Holiday Party and Lighting Ceremony. I think they need to shorten the name. <laughs> That's a long one. Yeah, Windpoint Community Club Holiday Party and Lighting Ceremony is set for Sunday, November 26th at 5.30 p.m., at the Wind Point Lighthouse in Wisconsin. Bring the kids and kick off the holiday season with food, refreshments, and carol singing as the lighthouse wreath is lit. And enjoy a visit from Santa himself. Hmm. And we have one more. To celebrate this special season, Point San Luis Lighthouse in California is offering special tours during the entire month of December. Dedicated volunteers have lovingly festooned the Keeper's Quarters and its attached lighthouse with Victorian period Christmas decor. Docents in period attire will assist your tour. See pointsanluislighthouse.org to learn more. Of course, there are more events around the country, and we can't mention them all. But if you have a holiday season event at your lighthouse, let me know at jeremy at uslhs.org, 
and we'll try to mention it in the next couple of weeks. So let's go to today's interview. Please help me out, Cindy. Sure, Jeremy. Cape Hatteras Lighthouse on North Carolina's Outer Banks is one of the most visited lighthouses in the world. Offshore from Cape Hatteras is a dangerous 12-mile-long sandbar called Diamond Shoals. Countless shipwrecks there led to the nickname Graveyard of the Atlantic. A lighthouse was first authorized at Cape Hatteras in 1794, and the station began service in 1803. The first sandstone tower was too short to effectively warn ships of the Diamond Shoals, In 1853, the tower was raised to a height of 150 feet. By the 1860s, it was decided that a new tower would be built, and the lighthouse that stands today began service on December 16, 1870. It got its famous black-and-white spiral, Daymark, three years later, making it easier to tell apart from the other area lighthouses. At 198 feet, it's the tallest lighthouse in the United States and the second tallest brick lighthouse in the world. Cape Hatteras Light Station was transferred to the National Park Service in 1937. Over the years, efforts were made to stabilize the beach in front of the lighthouse as the ocean crept closer. After years of study and much debate, the lighthouse was moved 2,900 feet from the original position in 1999. The National Park Service continues to manage the lighthouse and keeper's quarters, as well as conducting public tours. The Outer Banks Lighthouse Society also actively supports all North Carolina lighthouses. There are two people in today's interview. Alyssa Harden-Lapp is the Supervisory Park Ranger for the Hatteras Island District, and John Havel is a board member of the Outer Banks Lighthouse Society, who has done many years of research on the history of Cape Hatteras Light Station. This is John Havel's second appearance on this podcast. First time was back in December 2020, when we talked about the 150th birthday of the lighthouse. I recently visited Cape Hatteras Lighthouse for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. I know I've said on this podcast before that I was ashamed to admit I'd never been to Cape Hatteras <laughs> Lighthouse. I don't have to be ashamed anymore. No, even I've been there before you. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I just visited there and I had the opportunity to speak with Alyssa and John in the historic Keeper's House. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am here in one of the two historic keeper's houses at Cape Hatteras Light Station in North Carolina. And this is a thrill for me because I've never been here before. Uh, Certainly one of the the lighthouse meccas in the country for so many people. So it's great to be here with Alyssa Harden-Lapp, who is the supervisory park ranger for the Hatteras Island District, and uh, my friend John Havel. I just want to mention that I am staying at the Airbnb, uh, Sunrise Over Salvo with uh, John and his lovely wife, Aida. And I want to recommend that to anybody listening if they want a place to stay on the Outer Banks, to see lighthouses and to talk lighthouses with somebody who loves to talk lighthouses. I recommend Sunrise Over Salvo to to anyone uh, coming to this area. So Alyssa and John, thanks so much for doing this today. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Thank you, Jeremy. So, Alyssa, uh, I'd like to start with you, and if you don't mind, before we get into the the lighthouse and related stuff, maybe just a little bit about you. Maybe you could say where you're from and what park you've worked at before. Cape Hatteras here? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I have worked in four different national park units. So, my first uh, park, seasonal park, was at Redwoods uh, in Northern California. 
And then I did a winter season in Everglades National Park. And then I went to Yellowstone and then back to Everglades. Um, And then I finally ended up here at Cape Hatteras National Seashore in 2018. So I have been here um, for several years. I worked as a seasonal park ranger climbing up and down the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse for two seasons. And then I got transferred to Ocracoke Island, where I was the lead ranger on Ocracoke for um, for two seasons as well. Mm-hmm. My husband and I lived on Ocracoke for two years, full years. And then back in March of 2023 is when I finally got a permanent position as the supervisor for um, here at uh, Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. Great. Well, you've been in some amazing places before you were here. I sure have. And uh, you must like it here. You've been here for, what, five years? Yes. Yeah. 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 My wife, Charlotte, and I visited Ocracoke yesterday and loved it. So what a beautiful place. Yes. Yeah, it's a special, special place for sure. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about Ocracoke in a while. Are we actually in your office right now? Yes, we're in the office. We are in what we call the PKQ, which stands for the Principal Keepers Quarters. Um, and of course, uh, this building, it does not have any like lights it, into the walls. Um, it mm. has no plumbing, like no bathrooms or sinks or anything. So you have to uh, walk across the, the light station to, to use a bathroom or anything like that. Hmm. Which makes life a little more complicated. <laughs> it does. Yeah. But I also read that you're the, the social media manager yes. for, the, for the Cape Hatteras National Seashore. Uh, it seems like that alone will keep it pretty busy. What, what it kind does. Of, yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I always forget that I, I do that as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it takes up a lot of my time. Uh, we have a really great group of seasonals who help provide with content. And then I edit a lot of it and am responsible for posting it and scheduling it and um, if you make any kind of comment on one of our posts, it's most likely me behind the computer that is responding. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I love that aspect of it, um, of my job as well. So let me ask you a question, John. Uh, I interviewed you before a couple of years ago, along with uh, Bet Paget. So I don't want to, you know, hopefully not cover the same ground again. But let me ask you, why do you think you got so involved with Cape Hatteras Lighthouse? What is, what is the big draw for you? To give you the short answer, Jeremy, <laughs> it is the most beautiful example of Victorian architecture in America for a lighthouse. If you look at the ironwork, uh, particularly at the top, at the crown of it, there is no other lighthouse in America that has the flourish, the ornamentation mm-hmm. that Cape Hatteras does. And... and they're called Italianate brackets that hold up the, the, the gallery deck. And the yeah. railing posts particularly uh, are uh, unique to any lighthouse in America. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was drawn to. My father was an iron worker. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Back well, in that's, the 1940s. That's yeah. really interesting. St. Augustine Lighthouse is not identical. I know it's a bit shorter, but it's, it's another uh, way is it's not identical from what you just said. Is that correct? That is correct, and and you of, of all people should know that even with the stripes uh, similar to yeah. uh, Hatteras, uh, Saint Augustine actually is a twin to Body Island mm-hmm. and Currituck and Morris Island and right. several others yeah. in America. They were built from standard plan. Hatteras is unique. So let's talk about the restoration that's upcoming. 
there's a lot we could talk about, of course, to do with restoration. We can't go into every detail right now, but either or both of you can answer this. What are, what do you consider the major components of what's uh, going to be happening with the restoration? Well, I would say the, the lens is that a way. major component. Yeah. yeah. The main point about the restoration is mm-hmm. everything. <laughs> that's, it's that's a good never way. been done before. A lot of people think that when the lighthouse was moved in 1999, there was restoration work done. There was not. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was stabilization to some extent. But the work that was done in preparation for the move was done by International Chimney Company in 1991 and 92. And most of that was just the iron work at the top. There was a little other work done to it. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, over the years, things like the stairs have been replaced, the windows have been replaced, but nothing's been done in a major way with the masonry. Mm-hmm. And all of that will be addressed. All of the, uh, the beautiful granite from Connecticut, uh, the, the brickwork, and all of the ironwork, that, uh, the structural ironwork that's within the brickwork has never been touched, and mm-hmm. that's going to be done. So a lot of structural work will be done. But then, the, 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 very quickly, four or five main defining character characteristics that are described in the Historic Structure Report mm-hmm. uh, and that I had studied even before that was written was the pediments that used to be over the window before 1963, cast iron, beautiful uh, Victorian pediments, mm-hmm. uh, wooden doors that were inside, the only wood components of the lighthouse will be replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original Victorian iron fence, and again, I did a lot of research on that back in uh, 2012. Uh, parts of that were discovered during the move, buried under the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, beautiful Victorian iron fence and a, a replica lens that is going to be the best ever in America. Uh, all are going to be uh, put back to their proper place within the lighthouse. And also the entire landscape and terrain is going to be uh, redone. So let's talk a little bit more about the lens. We're talking about a first-order lens, and who is creating this replica lens? Well, we now know for sure that uh, uh, classic Fresnel lenses uh, in Florida, uh, run by a man named Dan Spinella, uh, is going to be creating the lens. He actually has been measuring and modeling that lens since 2006, and he is very uh, competent. He's, uh, I think one of the only uh, persons in America that knows how to do this. Mm -hmm. And he has, uh, I believe, made over, uh, I don't know the I think it's maybe a couple of dozen anyway. Well, over 50. Is it over 50? Over 50. And and some of these are in museums. Some of these are in the base of a lighthouse. Some of these were just partial replacements of prisms. Yeah. But other complete ones. But he's never done anything larger than a third-order lens. Right. So this is going to be a beauty. Yeah. I've interviewed Dan. I know his company is Artworks Florida. Artworks Florida. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, I believe the, like you said, the largest he's made before is a third order. He made a replica third order lens for the movie, The Lighthouse. Yes, he did. And what an incredible lens that was. Yes. Um, And he drove it from Orlando, Florida in his own vehicle to Nova (laughs) Scotia. Wow. This is going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, you're, I don't believe there's anybody else making complete replica lenses like he does. There have, are, have been other people making replacement parts, 
possibly acrylic, which is what he uses for his lenses, but not not the complete lenses. And I, I want to say for your for your listeners, Jeremy, that a lot of people you know are skeptical when they hear acrylic lenses and that. Yeah, but you can't tell the difference. Yeah, well, it's not just that, but uh, Dan is an engineer uh, for the Disney uh, company. Yeah, and he has proven to the Coast Guard mm-hmm. that. The, the acrylic lenses that he has uh, machined are optically better right. than the original crown glass. Yeah. You got the right guy, that's for sure. Let's talk a little bit about something called the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse Pathway that is part of this whole project, right? What's what's that all about? Yeah, it's a, a multi-use path that is going to be starting from Highway 12 and basically connecting Highway 12 to the lighthouse, to the old lighthouse beach, and then creating a pathway in between uh, the new, the current lighthouse and the old lighthouse position. So along that pathway, um, I think it's 1.25 miles and they will have uh, educational waysides along the path. Uh, I'm most excited about that, um, the move path. I saw uh, drawings for it and the exhibits that they came up with are, are really fascinating. And um, I'm really looking forward to seeing the final product for that. Uh, and then eventually connecting that all the way down to Cape Point, the pathway, um, and to Old Buxton Beach access, um, that, that's going to be in phase two. So mm-hmm. um, it's a long time coming. A lot of people have fundraised for it. Um, Outer Banks Forever has been a, a key um, funder for that. And uh, it's going to be about 10 to 12 feet wide and just provide uh, a pathway for people to walk and bike on safely um, from Highway 12 to to the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. Sounds great. So uh, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but there's that's actually a marker at the uh, the original position. Yes, there's there's one little post, and that's it. <laughs> will there be more when this as part of this project? There will be some more educational exhibits mm-hmm. around that, um, but I I believe the post is going to stay there. Is that in danger of being lost to the encroaching sea? I didn't show you the picture at the house, but I installed that post. Okay. Did you? Of course you did. Of course you did. (laughs) In June of of, uh, 2019 was the 20th anniversary of the move. And Dave Hallett, superintendent of the Cape Hatteras National Seashore, gave me a call less than a month before the event. You think we could put something up there? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And uh, I made it happen. And it's still there. And it's still there. I'm astonished. Well, I won't say that on air. I was going to say that. <laughs> Too late. Too late. That there's not more graffiti carved into it. Yeah. That still looks good. I know Nosset Light on Cape Cod, they did the same thing. That was uh, threatened. It was on the edge of a bluff. as a much easier lighthouse to move. It's only a, you know, like a 40-foot cast iron tower, but they have a stick. They had a stick, but that's gone over the, the edge of the bluff now because it just keeps falling away. But anyway. So the lighthouse here, Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, has been closed to the public for a while now, uh, pending this restoration. Uh, is there a timeline at this point? Do we know approximately uh, how long this restoration will take and approximately when the lighthouse will reopen to the public? Yeah, once work begins, it's um, on paper an 18-month project. Okay. Uh, you know, once you get the contractors get in there, there's always potential for uh, things to come up that that extend that time frame. 
Um, but I am hopeful for the summer of 2025. Mm-hmm. For reopening. For reopening. Yeah. So typically our, our lighthouse seasons go from April to October. Mm-hmm. So summer of 2025, maybe 2026, spring of 2026. Okay. Yeah. So we're speaking on what is today? October 10th? Do I have that yes. right? Okay. And your shop is still open here. The museum, Museum of the Sea, I believe it's called, mm-hmm. is still open. Are those about to close for the season? No, they will stay open. We um, are fortunate to have a strong volunteer crew over the winter. Mm -hmm. Um, So we will hopefully stay open from nine to five, at least through Veterans Day. And then um, through the winter, it'll be intermittent hours. Okay. um, Hopefully at least five days a week. Okay. Yeah. Great. So if they come, people come in the winter, maybe check ahead and see if things are open. Yeah. But yeah. it's still worth coming, even it if is, they're, they're yeah. not open for sure. So uh, let me ask you, and John, you and I were talking a little bit about this as we were walking over here this morning. How tall is Cape Hatteras Lighthouse? I have seen so many different numbers ranging from, I don't know, 191 feet or something to 213. Okay. I see you shaking, shaking your head. No. So tell me, how tall is the lighthouse? 198, and I think it's 8 inches with the uh, four, 4 foot 10 inch uh, pinnacle, which the, is the lightning rod at the yeah. top, which is a permanent part of the architecture. 198 feet, uh, almost 199. There actually is an organization that measures buildings uh, to the very top of the building of anything that's permanent architecturally. It does not include TV antennas, radio mm-hmm. antennas, things like that, flagpoles, are not included. Yeah. But the pinnacle on top of the ventilator ball is part of the original architecture, so that is mm-hmm. measured. But I think they use laser, some kind of laser system. Yeah, to it's all things. done. With, it's all and they don't done use a string laser. or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. Another question that I'm sure, Alyssa, you must get asked this so many times. How do they paint the stripes on it? <laughs> Have you had to paint them personally? <laughs> I have not, but the, the you know that used to be part of the lighthouse keeper's job to mm-hmm. paint the lighthouse. Sca- they scaffold it and and paint it that way. That's how I'm aware. John, do you know anything else? Well, in the beginning, uh, there are funny stories from uh, a man named Randy Jeanette, who was the son of uh, Unica Jeanette, the longest-serving lighthouse keeper. How they would actually. Uh, put down a, a scaffold from the top railing that would just be like a painter's scaffold, mm-hmm. which would just be boards on ropes. Yeah. And the ropes went down to the rear axle of the car, and the uh, father, Unica Jeanette, would then uh, uh, turn turn the car slowly that would raise and lower this scaffold, oh. and they would pull themselves around and do that. Wow. And of course, these days, there have been numerous companies that have been contracted and hired about every five years or so yeah. to paint the stripes. And, of course, they always go by the lines that are already, already there. Already there. Of course, you don't want uh, volunteers hanging on the side of the lighthouse, so it's all, always done by a contractor. Of course, even even with like a 30 or 40-foot lighthouse these days, uh, contractors have to be used. So in a case like this, <laughs> yeah. you got to have a top-notch contractor do that job. How many steps in the lighthouse? Well, it depends on what you consider a stair. Um, 257 stairs from the, the 
sidewalk to the balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you count that the ladder going up to view the um, into the lantern room, mm-hmm. then it is two sixty nine. Okay, I knew I was. I had two sixty something in in my head. So, yeah. Yeah, there are. Um, is it eight stories with thirty one steps each? I mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah. Do you say that Cape Hatteras Lighthouse is the tallest lighthouse in the country? Yes. It is. Usually, it's it's uh, <laughs> usually there's a uh, caveat. You call it a caveat, which is the tallest brick lighthouse in the world. Yeah. Uh, but it is the tallest uh, lighthouse in America, if. You do not count the Statue of Liberty, which is right. technically a well, lighthouse, and it's over 300 feet. Yeah. And there's also a, God, I always forget the it. Perry's, the Perry. Yeah, Perry's Victory. Perry's Monu- Victory. It's a monument. It's That's a monument. not a real lighthouse. Yeah, right. so- it, is not, it is not a classic traditional lighthouse, but uh, Cape Harris definitely is. The, the yeah, so that's why uh, whenever I have new seasonals come, I always say, this lighthouse is the tallest traditional lighthouse mm-hmm. in North America. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's brick. It doesn't like, it's just traditional, a traditional lighthouse. Yeah. For the tallest. Yeah. No, I don't disagree with that. Not, and if anybody's listening and thinking, well, such and such a lighthouse is 300 feet above the water. We're not talking about the height of the focal plane of the light above right. the water. We're talking about the height of the tower from the ground to the, like you said, the very top of the, the lightning rod. So, yeah, no, I just wanted to be sure that you uh, agreed that that was the case. I, I believe it's the tallest traditional lighthouse, as you said. One thing I read about the restoration for uh, eventually, I saw that the the tour program will be somewhat different when it reopens. I'm wondering, uh, was part of the problem, uh, was there wear on the stairs because of the number of visitors here? Is that? That's hard to say. Yeah, uh, that's hard to say, but... As far as your question of the tour looking different, mm-hmm. yes, it will not be able to host as many visitors at one time as it did historically. Because that put too much stress on the whole too site? Too much stress on the stairs. And, mm-hmm. and as part of the restoration project, they will be putting you know more support beams in the stairs mm-hmm. um, so we can continue climbing. I just climbed Body Island a couple of days ago, Body Island Light, and... Uh, Carol and the, the ranger there, we went up together and they have a system there where only one person is on the stairs at a time. So the first person goes up to the landing and says clear and then yes. the other person come up. So you keep going that way. Yeah. Which uh, is interesting. I've never seen that before. That's not how you've done it here. Right? No, that's not how we've done it here. And we that won't be how we do it in the future either. We'll be able to put more than one person on the, on the staircase. But mm-hmm. um, definitely, I think before when I worked climbing the lighthouse in 2018 and 2019 we sent in 30 people every 10 minutes yeah yeah see that's crazy to me because i i give tours sometimes at a 44 foot tall lighthouse where to get eight people up at one time is is dicey that's as the mm-hmm. most you want to do yeah um but we don't you you let people out in the, the gallery at the top not at the top in the lantern oh, the, room just on the balcony the, which is below the, the lantern level. Yes. Yeah. Similar to the other, similar lighthouses. Am I saying that room correct, John? The lantern room? That's correct. Yes, yeah. Okay. Lantern room is where the actual <laughs> the light lens lens sits. Is. And just below that is called the watch room. The yeah. Watch room. So it's the, it's the watch room gallery you let people out. Jeremy, I would like to make a comment on, sure. the, on the stairs. So yep. again, as I said earlier, 
Cape Hatteras Lighthouse is unique in its design and engineering. Uh, body Curatuck, St. Augustine's and those. The attachment of the stairs to the brick wall is only at every uh, level or, or um, floor, whatever you want to call it. Uh, whereas Hatteras, if you look at it, it is bolted continuously up into the brick okay. uh, as you climb. So, so it's much, much stronger. It was engineered like that originally. And it's the only lighthouse I know that has that, um, that strength. So, so it will take much more traffic. Okay. So, John, I think this is a question for you because you've been so involved uh, with uh, this organization for so many years. What is the Outer Banks Lighthouse Society? Oh, thank you for asking. So, in 1994, Bruce Roberts and Cheryl Shelton Roberts were living in Nags Head and they had a, uh, a lighthouse shop. They were interested in, in uh, lighthouses. And Bruce is one of the greatest American photographers uh, that's been around uh, photographing civil rights and this and that, and he got very interested in lighthouses. And of course, there are photographers' uh, uh, dream, you know, to, to photograph. And he visited Body at the time in 1994, and it was in such disrepair that it shocked him that he saw that iron pieces were crooked and things were falling apart. And when he talked to the Park Service and other people, Nothing really was done. The money wasn't there. The manpower wasn't there. And they couldn't do anything. So they decided to start the Outer Banks Lighthouse Society for the preservation, education, and uh, outreach to, to help preserve North Carolina lighthouses. And they wanted to start with, with Body Island. However, it was right at that time, 1994-95, as they got started, that they were talking seriously about moving the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. And they immediately shifted their their focus uh, to help uh, promote the move of the lighthouse, which, quite frankly, was not that popular right. with know, the locals yeah, down here. It's quite controversial, I understand. It was very controversial because the locals simply believed that something almost 200 foot tall could not be moved without breaking it. They don't know international chimney. Well, I don't mean to... To go on, but there's a wonderful story I have about that, and that is anybody that's ever rented a car, you get a, I don't know what it's called, a ding chart that shows you exactly what dents and whatever are on the car when you rent it. I have the complete set of blueprints for the move, and two or three of the pages show every crack, every fault, every flaw, inside and out, mm -hmm. that were on the lighthouse before it was moved. After it was moved, nothing changed. Mm -hmm. There was not a single new crack, flaw, or anything. Yeah. They're miracle workers, that, that company. It was absolutely perfect, the move. Yeah. Yeah. I, I believe it. And they, they moved some, did some other incredible jobs. This is probably their, their crowning achievement. And another organization I was wondering about, well, let's see, you mentioned Outer Banks Forever. What is, the, what is that group to? Yeah, so it's our nonprofit fundraising and agency for the, the Park Service. And they um, they are with, well, not for the Park Service, for the Eastern uh, Parks of North Carolina. So mm -hmm. uh, um, they assist fundraising for Wright Brothers, for Fort Raleigh National Historic Site, and then for Key Powderus National Seashore. And uh, like I said before, they're, they're, they've been doing some significant fundraising for 
um, the the multi-use pathways project and they have um, done many additions to the park that we would not be able to do if it wasn't for them um, kayak launches uh, surf cameras on top of the lighthouse and the list goes on so any donation that is made to the park would be made through Outer Banks Forever. So it sounds like you have a great partnership between the Park Service and these these other groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do wonderful work. Jessica Barnes is the um, uh, director of that organization, and they do amazing work uh, with the Park Park Service, and, and it's really to the public's benefit. Mm-hmm. And actually, just a fun little backstory. Um, during the during COVID, when part of our season was canceled, um, my position was canceled for the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse that year. And so looking for something to do, I reached out to Outer Banks Forever and I actually helped them and volunteered um, to do their social media for, for about a year. Uh-huh. Good so for you. Kind of what got my foot in the door with the social media manager. I might want to talk to you sometime about social media because... Tough nut to crack for, for a lot of us. It is, yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, talk a little bit about Ocracoke Lighthouse, okay? Uh, it's my understanding that's also managed by the Park Service. And uh, your husband is a park ranger on Ocracoke? Yes. Is that right? Yeah, he is. He, um, his name's Rodney, and Rodney Lapp, and he's the fees supervisor. So he um, oversees the campground, which is open year-round down there. Um, the boat docks, which uh, is basically like a, a boat campground where boaters can pool up and have water and electric hookups. Mm-hmm. Um, so he oversees that and um, the ORV permits down down there. Mm-hmm. I was there yesterday at Ocracoke Lighthouse. It's not open for climbing. Right. Is it occasionally, I saw, that. Is it occasionally open the base, the bottom part of the lighthouse? Yes. Is that open? Yeah, so that just recently started uh, three years ago um, on a more steady schedule. Typically, they would only open it for special occasions, like on the 4th of July parade. Um, But since 2021, they have had a steady schedule to where the base is open for at least a couple hours a day Mm -hmm. for folks to just be able to go inside and look up and um, see what it looks like inside. And one of the things that was a lot of fun working down there, staffing the base of the lighthouse was, uh, you know, you'd get families that were coming there for 20 years and they come the same week every year. And they are just so happy that it's open because in those 20 years, they've never been able to see what it looked like inside. So mm-hmm. just just being able to step inside mm-hmm. of it is pretty momentous for, for some people. Yeah. It's a it's a beautiful lighthouse to photograph. It's got that beautiful white picket fence, mm-hmm. and I noticed yesterday there were quite a few people there. My wife and I were there, but you can still take pictures kind of along the fence without getting the <laughs> the other people in there. Right. People want to, uh, you know, just photograph the lighthouse and the fence. It's a really nice uh, view there. Something uh, a lot happened at Ocracoke Lighthouse in Hurricane Dorian in 2019. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, some significant damage for the entire island of Ocracoke for Hurricane Dorian in 2019, but specifically at um, at the lighthouse, there was about 18 inches of storm surge water that mm-hmm. entered into the keeper's quarters. And um, but before Hurricane Dorian, the keeper's quarters was closed for about three years to where there was nobody, nobody could live in it. And that was from Hurricane Matthew in 2016. So 
Um, as of 2016, there's been nobody that has lived lived in that house due to hurricane damage. Mm-hmm. Are there any plans for the house at this point? Yeah, so we, the Park Service, uh, was awarded disaster relief funds from U.S. Congress to uh, mitigate the storm damages. So um, we actually just awarded the, the contract for work to get started, and they will be actually raising um, the keeper's quarters four to five feet, um, and that includes all of the outbuildings that are part of the keeper's quarters as well. Mm-hmm. But not the lighting. Correct. Not the lighthouse. So thank you for clarifying that, John. Um, So the outbuildings basically include, uh, there's a storehouse, there's a workshop, there's a chicken house, there's a privy, and then there's an oil, um, an oil house. Mm -hmm. So those will be raised and the the keeper's quarters, both sides of it. Um, There's an original side and then a side that was added in the 1900s. Mm -hmm. Both of those will be raised. Okay. Yeah. And then there are plans to the original half to be turned into some kind of visitor center or museum where folks can can go inside and and look, which will be I'm I'm really looking forward to that. That'll yeah, really yeah, that's going to be great. I want to talk more about some of those issues of the uh, the environment encroaching uh, environment there and at Cape Hatteras. But John, this is probably a question for you. I actually had in my notes. Was there a 200th anniversary celebration for Ocracoke Lighthouse this year? But I crossed it out and I changed it to, will there be a 200th anniversary celebration for Ocracoke Lighthouse next year? So as you must understand, Jeremy, throughout lighthouses throughout America, historical research is always going on and new things are always being found. Absolutely. The the Park Service had planned uh, for... uh, for 2023, uh, which is the traditional date that was known for uh, Ocracoke Lighthouse, was 1823. Yeah. And that always has been known, but nobody has ever known the month and the day. And uh, just this year, new documents have come to light. Yeah. And a, a young man named Dale Mutro uh, discovered some documents that actually had a rather alarming date. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that August 15, 1824 mm-hmm. was when the uh, Oak light was actually lit. Yeah. And that was presented to the Park Service uh, earlier this year. And, of course, they have to check for the authenticity. Are these documents real? You know, how were they discovered? What does it mean? And everything before they can really write it into the history. And my understanding from... Um, cultural resource manager and historian Jamie Lanier is they have looked at those and and they're they're going to start uh, changing some of the some of the story uh, that goes with Ocracoke now that new information has been found mm-hmm. but a 200th uh, anniversary a wonderful uh, anniversary celebration uh, was had can't remember what month it was. May. Uh, May. And, and over 200 people showed up. 500 people. 500 people. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Wow. That's right. You were the, yeah. It was unbelievable. And, and the speeches and the, the stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was an amazing celebration. Yeah. It really was uh, very well received and very admired. Yeah. And of course, the gate there right by the lighthouse says 1823. That just means that's when they made the 
or when they were building it, certainly in 1823. Yes, yeah, that's when the major construction was done. Yeah, makes perfect sense. So back to uh, the erosion and, and rising sea levels issues. You talked about, Alyssa, about the raising up of the buildings at, at Ocracoke. What's happening here at Cape Hatteras as far as that goes? Uh, you mean as far as the erosion goes? Or what yeah, any, any issues along those lines of uh, what's being done? Well, there's cons- constant beach nourishment projects that are, um, you know, sand pumping onto the, the shoreline. Uh, and then you get one storm and all the sand goes down to form an island off of, off of Cape Point. Um, we've had, not even with hurricanes, but with uh, tropical storms and, and hurricanes that are offshore, uh, most recently we've had parts of the old Navy base have shown up on the shore from the shoreline eroding hmm. uh, from that. So that's something that's on, ongoing uh, that the Department of Defense and Navy and Army Corps of Engineers are looking into uh, finding ways on how they are going to be removing some of that diesel fuel, some of the structures that are on there mm-hmm. um, that aren't safe for, for visitors. But at this point, none of the light station buildings are immediately threatened, right? No, no. As far as Cape Hatteras goes, no, mm-hmm. not yet. <laughs> you know, we're on a, a barrier island and being on a barrier island, you have barrier island migration, which basically means that the islands are in constant movement. Yeah. Um, so it's estimated that 50 to 100 years, we will most likely be in the same situation that um, we were in before the lighthouse was moved. Sure. I'm not surprised that's the case. Alyssa, I was reading, I think it was a newspaper article where you were interviewed, and there was an incident described in the article, kind of a scary incident involving your family in 2018. Did you maybe... Mm. That's it's yeah. an interesting story. Could you tell that? I'm trying to think of what news article you <laughs> you read, but yes, it was um, uh, June 25th. I'll never forget the date. My family won't forget the date. Um, they had come to visit us on our my husband and I's first season working for Cape Hatteras National Seashore, and they rented a house in Rodanthe. Um, and we were sitting around the breakfast table that morning and I looked up what the rip current risk was and it was a high risk. So I told my family, guys, it's a high risk. That means nobody should be swimming in the water. Mm-hmm. And they all just looked at me with a blank stare. Yeah. Like, well, what do you mean? We came all the way from Pennsylvania. We're get- we want to go swimming in the ocean. I thought I had done my due diligence of notifying everybody we went out we set up on the beach and we were gonna just fish and hang out and my dad and I left to go pick up some tackle across the street and when we came back onto the we crested the dune and everybody on the beach was lined up facing you know looking out into the ocean and I knew something had happened Uh, But I didn't know it was my family that had got caught in a rip current. And three of my family members, my sister, my husband, and my brother-in-law were all caught in a rip current. My mom was just, you know, crying and up at the dunes. And at that point, they had called uh, Chickamacomico Rescue Squad, and they had deployed jet skis because they could not find my sister. My sister was missing. 
uh, my husband and my brother-in-law were able to to get out okay. My husband's an avid surfer, so um, he struggled for about 20 minutes, though, in that rip current. Um, but my sister was missing for 45 minutes in the ocean. Nobody could even locate her. And jet skis finally found her a quarter of a mile away from um, where they had entered in. And uh, that day, floating saved her life. So she just remembered me telling her to um, don't fight, float. Mm-hmm. And she just floated until somebody found her. And um, it was it was really incredible, that 45 minutes, not knowing yeah. where she was. And they ended up going to the hospital, but they were... They, my brother-in-law and my sister went to the hospital, but they were discharged that same day. So it could have um, ended a lot differently if... If she didn't know what to do. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. What a what a scary thing. I'm so glad it has a happy ending. Yeah. It'd be so so scary for for all of you. Yeah. Yeah. So don't fight float. Don't and fight float. Always make sure you check what the rip current risk is, um, and if it's a high risk, don't get in. Which mm-hmm. is. It happens where I live on the New Hampshire seacoast. Is a, a very popular beach, Hampton Beach, and there's uh, rip current warnings pretty often. And very bad things have happened there, mm-hmm. so I know how serious it is. So don't fight, float. Uh, I have just a couple more questions. And this is a, a question I was just thinking about today that I decided to ask both of you if you'd like to, you can fight as to who takes it first. But there's a lot going on in the world, and we're speaking on October 10th, 2023. There's a, a lot of serious stuff going on in the world right now. I don't want to get into the specifics, but it's, 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 there's a lot of scary stuff going on. My question is, with all with all of this, uh, with all the news uh, in the world, why is it still important that we preserve lighthouses? That's a great question. I guess I'll take this one. I'll, I'll go first, then you can answer it, John. Um, you know, when I think of lighthouses, the first word that comes to me is hope. They were a, a symbol and a sign of hope for sailors in stormy seas, even when I'm, you know, away on a long vacation and I'm I'm driving along Highway 12 and I finally can see the light of the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, it's a sign of, of home and a, a symbol of hope for me. So I think I think that is something really important, especially in this day and age, that there's something there that that can help guide you and give you hope into the into the future. I mean, that's one of the things with the Park Service, you know, we're here to reflect on the past, um, but then we also preserve for the future. So um, that symbol of hope for me is is something that I hold on to. That's really beautiful. Anything you want to add to that, John? Well, I think that's an excellent answer. Certainly, I mean, you know, if you look at the, all of the books written about it, you know, there's sentinels of the, of the shore, uh, there are beacons uh, of that, and... and You'll notice that churches use them a lot for their symbols. We use uh, lighthouses. But in addition to that, uh, the National Park Service, of course, many of them are private lighthouses and, and run by you know other organizations and bureaus. But, but here, on the Outer Banks at least, the National Park Service, it's dedicated to... Um, to preserving things like this, you know, whether it's Yellowstone Park or other great parks that we have, these are uh, historical monuments 
uh, and they need need preserving, and they deserve that. And uh, 1870 and before that, there was a, another lighthouse before that, and uh, they are symbols of hope and symbols of this light. Mm-hmm. Beautifully said by both of you. I've been saying uh, lately, when I think about that question, or people ask that, that question, I just think we need lighthouses more than ever these days, for all the reasons that you, you just said. So, I, and another question that either or both of you can take, Cape Hatteras Lighthouse has been referred to as America's Lighthouse. Just any, any comment on that? The first time uh, I, I had actually heard it referred was Bruce and, and Cheryl Shelton Roberts named their, uh, the, the one book. Uh, as I said, when I was talking about getting interested in the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, it astonished me that only two books had ever been written about the history. Mm-hmm. Uh, actual history they had been included in other anthologies and other books generally about that but it was only uh, Dawson Carr's Sentinel of the Shoals and uh, Bruce and Cheryl's and it was Cape Hatter's Lighthouse America's Lighthouse that's the first time I had seen it called that but I believe it is America's Lighthouse it, it, it is the tallest it is the most majestic and I have copies of all of the original documents from the building of it a young man at the time, uh, William J. Newman, was the engineer for the 5th District that chose the site, uh, helped build, uh, helped get the movement going on the building of it. And at that time, it was said that no expense should be uh, spared and that it should be built with the best materials and the best uh, uh, engineering possible. And it was, it was meant to be, from the very beginning, uh, America's Lighthouse. And it's on America's first national seashore. Wow. National seashore. That is correct. I should have known that, but that's, I'm glad you added that. That's perfect. So, okay. I have one final question. And again, you can, you can fight amongst yourselves for who's going to take this first. The question is, what do you, what do you, what have you enjoyed most? And this could be one thing. It could be more than one thing about your association with the Outer Banks and its lighthouses, but specifically a Cape Hatteras lighthouse? The location, I, I think, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to live a half of a mile away from this lighthouse. I see it, you know, the beam shine um, in my house, above my house. And I get to live in this like amazing maritime forest, but then I just ride my bike a half of a mile and I'm at the beach. And um, with the backdrop of uh, the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, there isn't uh, much that can come close to, you know, the feeling that I get when I take my dogs for a walk on the beach and I just have this backdrop and um, I never take it for granted. I know how fortunate I am to get to experience that. And um, it's just fun to be able to share that experience with other people who come to visit and get that same feeling. John, you want to take the same question? Well, that was beautifully said, Alyssa. But let me say three things. If you look at the the history of this lighthouse, it's absolutely astonishing. And I, I know there are wonderful stories with other lighthouses and other historic structures and buildings. But the stories that go with the history of this lighthouse are absolutely amazing. Every day that I do research and I find a new story that goes back in history. But the opposite of that is the people you meet today, like Alyssa, and people that visit here, the tourists. Uh, 
I think it's absolutely hilarious in my own life that I had this obsession with this lighthouse. So I would come here and I would overhear somebody standing next to me from Ohio, Kentucky, California, New England, whatever, you know, where they were visiting from and asking questions and wondering. And of course, I would you know, answer if I could, it helped. Yeah. But as time went by over the past 15 years or so, my wife, Aida, who is a lawyer, uh, I would hear her turn and start answering mm-hmm. people's questions. So she caught the bug, and she now loves talking about it and loves talking about the history. But the people that visit here, the people that climb, it's a wonderful experience uh, to have both that and to know the people that used to live here in such a remote place that I'm told the 1950s there were no roads here. It was so remote, and it was a fishing village. I mean, that's what people did. They built boats. They fished. There was not a car on the island, and everybody owned a boat, and that's how they traveled. And it's, it's wonderful to close your eyes and try and imagine that. Beautifully said, John. Uh, and I'm glad you mentioned your wife, Aida. The two of you were such great hosts uh, these last couple of days to uh, my wife, Charlotte, and me. And, and John, you, you mentioned that when you got involved, there were only like a couple of books on Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. So when's your book coming? <laughs> I asked him that the other day. <laughs> the, funny, the funny answer that I gave you at dinner the other night was two years. I tell everybody, whether it was 10 years ago or five years ago. Yeah, I've been working on that book for 15 years. I don't know. Uh, I am a graphic designer. I am a historian. But I'm not a writer, and I struggle to write. But as Alyssa knows, and, and uh, you know, I've written numerous monographs, mm-hmm. articles uh, about some very special things that I've researched and found out. Those are all going to become chapters of the book, mm-hmm. and I have dozens of others. Uh, so I don't know, you know, when I'm going to actually write and finish the book, but it's got to be soon. <laughs> yeah, obviously you're the guy to do it. Thank you. And I'm very much looking forward to it. So Alyssa Hardenlap and John Havel, thanks so much for this time. I'm I'm really, my first time in the Outer Banks, I'm having such a great time. It's a real pleasure meeting both of you. And I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. For more information on the lighthouses and other attractions on the Cape Hatteras National Seashore, visit nps.gov backslash C-A-H-A. There's information about the beaches, camping, fishing, birds and wildlife, and more. It was mentioned in the interview, but I want to mention something again. It bears mentioning again. John Havel and his wife Aida have made part of their home on the Outer Banks available as an Airbnb, and they call it Sunrise Over Salvo. Uh, Aida and John are great hosts. The place is very comfortable and homey. Lots of historic photos of Cape Hatteras Lighthouse and lots of other interesting things to look at. I recommend it very highly as a place to stay if you're visiting the Outer Banks. You can find it on the Airbnb website, and there's also a Facebook page for Sunrise Over Salvo. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn all about tours the Passport Program, the Quarterly Journal, and all the other things the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers. Remember that donations and memberships help to support this podcast.
I want to remind people that there's a brand new book published by the U.S. Lighthouse Society. It's called Preserving America's Lighthouses, Memoirs of a Coast Guard Ocean Engineer by retired Coast Guard Rear Admiral Dan May. You can buy it on Amazon. Some of the profits benefit the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Cindy, you and I have some personal experience with that book. (laughs) Yes, we do. We worked on the book over the summer, copy editing and proofreading. Yeah, and I'm very pleased with how it's come out. Mm -hmm. I know Dan well. It was a lot of fun working on the book. It's full of his uh, personal stories, working as an engineer on lighthouse projects, like the moves of several lighthouses, uh, the building of a revetment at Montauk, uh, among other things. I highly recommend it to anyone interested in lighthouse preservation. So, do you have a Thanksgiving quote, Cindy? I do. The writer and Holocaust survivor, Ellie Wiesel, once wrote, For me, every hour is grace, and I feel gratitude in my heart each time I can meet someone and look at his or her smile. I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving. I'm thankful for many things, but a big one for me is that I'm very thankful I get to do this podcast, and I'm thankful for every guest and every person who listens. Absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. On next week's episode of Lighthearted, we will have a conversation with the new owner of Stamford Harbor Lighthouse in Connecticut. For now, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine